The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Psalm 119, uh, we're going to be taking verses uh, 89 to, uh, to 91 today, but this is kind of the, the idea of uh, the, the letter, the letter Lamed, um, that's what we're dealing with next, and, and we're bringing it together, but there's going to be a couple parts to this. Um, but in the days of the Russian Revolution, the Soviet state tried to stamp out Christianity and convert everyone to atheism. A popular Russian comedian developed a stage act in which he played a drunken Orthodox priest dressed in wine-stained robes. He did a, com- a comic imitation of the ancient but beautiful liturgy of the Russian Orthodox Church. Now, part of his performance was to chant the Beatitudes, but he used distorted words such as, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for vodka. And blessed are the cheesemakers while struggling to remain more or less upright. He had done his act time and time again, and he was rewarded by the authorities for his work in promoting atheism and making worship seem ridiculous. But on one occasion, things didn't go as well as he had planned. Instead of saying the garbled version of the Beatitudes in his well-rehearsed comic manner, he chanted the sentences as they are actually sung in the real liturgy. His attention was focused not on the audience, but on the life-giving words that were coming from the Bible, words he had learned and sung as a child. He listened to the memorized words, and something happened in the depths of his soul. After singing the final uh, beatitude, he fell to his knees weeping. He had to be led from the stage, and he never parodied worship ever again. The power of God's word it just never ceases to amaze me. I mean, we can hear testimony after testimony about the power of God's word. And why not? I mean, did not God promise that he would bless his word? He goes, this is my word. I send it out. It will accomplish everything that I have purposed for his word. And that's what happens here. So the, the word of God, it's just powerful. It's life-changing. It does some amazing things. It never ceases to amaze me. And the testimonies, again, are en- endless, and it will continue to be endless, according to the scriptures, because it will always do what it accomplishes, or it will always accomplish what it was set, set out to do. But again, we understand the scriptures to be the very breath of God. If we really believe that the scriptures are the very breath of God, why would the very breath of God be anything less than the actual eternality of God? If this is God's word and God is the eternal God, why would his words not be eternal? And if it's nothing less than eternal, then valuable it is and has been seen so by many over the years. But yet, more and more, it's becoming really troubling to see some of the things that are coming out in mainstream uh, Christianity that I know a lot of you are seeing. Some of it is pretty sneaky, too. So, you know, I'm just hoping that we are aware and we're, being, and we're paying attention to what we're actually seeing. 
But the scriptures are always under attack. Sometimes I'll be flipping through the stations and, and you know, not being able to see or, or not being able to find something to watch. And so I'll land on the Discovery Channel or I'll land on the History Channel. And sure enough, a lot of the time when I'm doing that, there's some scholar from some country that's saying, oh, the Bible is just a bunch of myths and legends and it's just this and it's just this and, it's, and it has, you know, nothing to do. It's not what it says it is. It's definitely not the Word of God. You know, the Christians have been deceived for over all these years. They just won't accept it. They won't blah, blah, blah. And it's go on and on. And so the Bible is under attack. It has always been under attack if you look at church history. And it probably will continue to be under attack until Christ comes. But it's clear from the scriptures as to the reason why they do this. Why do men do this? Why do people attack the Bible the way they do? Because the Bible says men loved the darkness instead of the light. So it makes sense. It makes sense because they have rejected God. They've hardened their hearts. The Bible says that their minds have become darkened. Minds are darkened. Hearts are hardened. I mean, if you, if you look in, and some of you will see the social media, one of the big ones that we're doing is I did this whole spiel on the Bible. And man, did people just come down and attack the Bible. And they're, they're just saying all these horrible things about Scripture. And they're just going and going and going. And the attacks are vicious. The attacks are numerous. The attacks are abundant. They're pervasive. They're just everywhere. So people all over the world are attacking the Bible saying all the things that they need to say. That's probably another thing that I keep telling them too. It's like, you know, they give me this stuff. Oh, well, Jesus was never there and Jesus was not this and Jesus this and the Bible was written, you know, oh, you know, just, you know, several years ago and all, just all kinds of different arguments. And I keep saying, would you guys please stop getting your information from the Discovery Channel? Actually read books by like, you know, just scholars. <laughs> Uh, that's probably one of the, some of the scholars are actually even saying too. But the attacks are vicious, and a lot of it, it's like not even not even substantiated. There's no support. The reality is, is that people just do not want to accept the Bible as truth. Because if you accept the Bible as truth, it means you're stepping into the light. And guess what happens to our lives when we step into the light? Everything that we do is exposed, and we don't like that. Sin causes us to not like that. And it goes against what it is that we as, the, as, as human beings who have a sin nature, it goes against everything that we desire. But here's the thing that's really concerning to me is another thing that we've got to be aware of is that there are lots and lots and lots and lots of attacks that are coming against the Bible that are coming from professing Christians. This is the thing that, this is the part that blows me away, is that the attacks against the Bible coming from professing Christians, some, you know, Christian scholars, some theologians, uh, not even just that, but just people, uh, just Christians on Facebook that, uh, and, and, you know, Instagram and social media and all that, just all over, Christians are actually downplaying the Bible. It's just like, well, you know, I, I believe that the Bible is, is the word of God, but it was written by man. So, you know, it can't really be from the breath of God. And, you know, and, and, and they're just allowing the culture to infiltrate their minds. So they're actually talking about this. Now, this is, is, foundational to what 
I have been for years referring to as the great sin of the church in America. So a lot of times when you hear about sin, you hear about morality and you say, oh, there's, this, there's pervasive sin and there's pervasive immorality within the church. A lot of times our minds quickly go to the, to the common ones, right? They're like, oh, well, if there's immorality in the church, then it's got to be sexual, you know? Uh, you know, the pastor, you know, he's having an affair with the church secretary. It's actually happening here at Central, if you didn't know. All right, bad joke, bad joke, okay. But uh, anyway, just for those of you that are watching, my, my wife is the administrator here, our, the volunteer administrator. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. I talk about this as the great sin, and, and a lot of times our mind quickly goes to it's got to be some kind of sexual sin, or it's got to be some kind of financial sin. But you know what the great sin of the church is in our culture today? It's called ignorance. Seriously, think about this. It's called ignorance. Now we have Christians that are undercutting the very foundations and they think that, you know, that it's, it's no big deal. Like whether we have the Bible or not, it's no big deal. You know, my, it's not about the Bible. It's about my relationship with Jesus. It's about, you know, all this stuff. People will say these types of things and undercut scripture and not think that it's important. But one of the things that we are, are deceived, I think it's deception in a lot of ways. We all know, hey, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But do you know the verse that happens right before that. It's John 8, what, uh, 30, 32, John 8, 32. And so John 8, 31, Jesus says something there that should jar us. Jesus says, if you really are my disciples, if you are truly my disciples, if you are true disciples of mine, you know what he's saying when he says that? Think about that. If you are truly my disciples, meaning what? That there's a possibility that there are those who are not truly disciples of Christ. Now, why is this important? Because Jesus says, if you are truly my disciples, you will abide in my word. Why in the world are we undercutting scripture? Why are we undercutting and setting Scripture aside? Jesus is telling us right now, you not abiding in my word, you not meditating on my word, you not knowing my word is a sign that you are not truly my disciple. <laughs> you weren't ready for this today, huh? I'll warm things up for you today. Put your seatbelt on. It's going to get warm in here. Maybe it's because we're not truly his disciple. So you, we cannot be ignorant of the scriptures if we are truly disciples of Christ. 
So, you know, we make jokes about it. We, we talk about the ignorance of, of, of Christians. You know, they, they go out and they go to Christian conferences. They go to churches and people do statistics. And, and we make jokes about it because they ask people questions like, you know, hey, who was the man that was swallowed by the big fish? And they said, like, you know, something ridiculous, like 35% of the answers was Pinocchio, right? And people are serious, all, all that stuff. And people, you know, people don't, you know, the, one of the questions, uh, 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 question that's asked is who was first Noah or David and the amount of people that actually said David you know I mean just biblical ignorance when it comes to the evangelical church and the thing is is that a lot of people will take those statistics and they will mock it and they think it's funny but what I'm trying to say is that's not funny at all because if you are truly a disciple of Christ you will abide in his word You cannot be a disciple of Christ and be ignorant of the word of God. So why in the world do we see professing Christians doing everything they can to attack and to downplay the truth of Scripture? I don't understand this. I don't get this. You can't have it that way. It can't be that way. Ignorance is not loving God with all of our minds. Right? The first commandment, the first greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your good works. Oh, wait, no, that's not in the Bible. With all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your church attendance. With all of your heart, with all of your soul and all the amazing podcasts that are out there that talk about the wonderful things of Christianity. With all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. Which means what? Does God expect us to use our minds? Absolutely. And we are to love him with our mind. So do you think that loving God or that we're showing God that we love him with our minds if we're ignorant of his word? Man, this is what I'm saying. It's like we're really quick. We're really quick to make judgments when it comes to certain kinds of sins. But here we have an absolute abomination that's happening in our culture today with the ignorance of of Scripture and the downplaying of Scripture within the body of Christ. And we think it's funny. It's It's an epidemic. It's horrible. And yet the scriptures continue to be under attack. And so because of this, there's more and more confusion. More and more confusion because we're taking too many of our cues from the world. And the reality is this, family. The Bible is to never, ever be on trial. Right? I mean, why, why is it, especially when it comes to Christianity and it comes to professing Christians, why is the Bible on trial? Why do we put the Bible on trial? I mean, I get it. I know, I know that the Bible deals with a lot of sensitive issues, right? Like a lot of sensitive things. But why is it that we have to look at the scripture and get one of, our, one of the pastors, one of our scholars to explain to us what the Bible is really saying here, because the Bible can't mean that. You know, a father is allowed to sell his daughter? 
well, that's messed up. But even when I say stuff like that, right, you feel it inside. You're just like, whoa, 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 wait, wait. Sell, he's going to sell, sell his daughter and the Bible is allowing that? How can God allow that? That's so irreprehensible. That's so immoral. You can't do that. You can't say that. Pastor Shane, you need to explain it to me. Explain what God is really saying here so that I don't have a gal. And I say, you want to know what, what God is intending to do when he talks about you know, selling the, the father selling their, their daughters? Yeah, what is, it, what is he really saying there? He's really saying that fathers can sell their daughters? Well, that's messed up, man. Right? That's the response. That's messed up. But you know what we're doing? We're putting the Bible on trial. Do we not think that the Lord knows what he's doing? Do we not think? So, so here's a father who, who borrowed money. Here's a father who has all these debts. Here's the father that, that has, has made a d- disaster of his business. He's got all these people that he owes. He's got all these people that are depending on him, giving back the money, paying the employees that he had. He has absolutely no money and he's got nothing. How in the world is he supposed to take care of the debts that he has? So you know what you can do to pay back the debts? Yeah, we don't like that because we come from a a country where there's bankruptcy laws and all of that type of stuff. But what about countries that don't? And don't think that this stuff isn't happening in countries all over the world right now. I know the Bible has some things that are difficult for us to hear. I know the Bible has that. But we never put the Bible on trial. Well, Shane, you know, what about, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm off already on this. So I'll get back, I promise. But, sh- but, but I just want, I want to push this thing through. Just let me hammer this thing through. The one, number one, one of the number one accusations I get, especially when it comes to the marketplace and talking to people, they bring up the slavery thing all the time. Well, the Bible condones slavery. The Bible condones slavery. The Bible condones slavery as punishment for a crime and repayment for debts. That's it. Now, if you go to another country and you crack somebody on the head, you know, and you you kidnap them, you bring them to another country and you sell them as slaves, you know what the Bible says is going to happen to the person that did that? So the slavery that we condemn in our country today is, is that kind of slavery. People were kidnapping people and selling them to people here in America and all that stuff. That's the, that's the slavery that we were condemning. But the point that I'm making is, if you just look at our country when it comes to these types of things, <laughs> there's no justice. Is there? I remember I gave you guys the example. Here, here's, here's a girl, a true story, I won't tell the names, but here's a girl who is you know, driving a car and she gets rear-ended by a guy, okay, and just destroys the back of her car. Now, come to find out, the guy that ran into the car had no insurance, had no job, and she only had liability on her car. Right? So this is what happens. After all is said and done, 
She's got to pay. She, out of her own pockets, got to pay for all her medical because she had whiplash and she hurt herself. She had to pay for all her medical. She got to pay to fix her car. And whatever the, the, I forget what it was. There was some kind of damage that took place when it came to the city. This is the thing that blows me away. Like, you know, she hit like some kind of sign or something like that that belonged to the city. And they essentially, it was uh, the responsibility of her and the guy that hit her. So she had to pay for city repairs over, over the, the day. I, I just, all the stuff. And then she had to pay out of her own money to, to do the car. Now, when, she, when it was all said and done, it was like over 20 something thousand dollars that she had to pay out of pocket. For a guy who rear-ended her, who didn't have a job and didn't have insurance. You know what he got? He got six months in prison. Where he got three meals a day. Where he got to sleep in. You know, he got all this stuff. That's what happened to him. And I said, and that's justice? That's justice? I talked I talk to the girl. I was just like, man, what if, you had, what if you had to switch places with the guy? She says, I'd switch places in a second. I'd rather go to prison for six months <laughs> than have to pay the $25,000 that I absolutely cannot afford. Where's the justice in that? Well, he has no money, Shane. I get it. He, has, he had no insurance, so they couldn't do anything. I get it. I understand I get it. I understand. You know what you could have done? You know what you could do, though? You could make that guy work it off for her. (laughs) How about have the guy do her laundry? How about have the guy cook her meals? How about have the guy paint her house, fix things in the house? How about that? That sounds like a little bit more justice to me. Family, God knows what he's doing. It's clear in scripture. It's there. It's always there. It's something that we can stand on, something that we can trust. And we don't have to apologize. You know, the other one that comes up is the genocide one. God tells the Israelites to go into that country and to exterminate everybody. Kill all the guys, kill all the women, kill all the kids. Shane, there's, that's injustice. That's wrong. That's absolutely wrong. Again, we don't put the Bible on trial. We don't do it. But then all it does is take a little bit of thinking. But, they, but the Bible allows for these, for, for, they told them to kill the children. Why do you think they do that? Why did you think that God would make that happen? Why do you think God would do that? Because you know what happens with these children? This is what happens pretty much all the time with these little children. They all grow up, right? Unless there's something different that you guys understand that I don't understand. But what happens is these little kids grow up and all they can think about and all they can remember is that that nation over there came over here and killed my dad, killed my mom, killed my brother, and destroyed us as a nation and took all these people into slavery and tortured us and made us carry their water. What do you think is going to happen when this child grows up? 
and they get together with other children who grew up. And that group of two or three guys end up becoming 20, and now they become 50, and now they become 100, and now they become 1,000. What do you think they're going to do to you? Do we think God knows what he's doing? Absolutely he knows what he's doing. We never put the Bible on trial. We don't. And this is what happens. We hear arguments like this. We hear people say these types of things and they say, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. So it causes us to not have confidence in the Bible where we start to wonder, oh, yeah, what, what's the deal with God? He's just this angry, grouchy dude that just, you know, cares about or just wants, you know, people to go into other nations and kill babies. <laughs> and they think God is immoral. So it starts to lessen the, um, the confidence that we have in Scripture. And, and family, we got we to get this. We got to understand this. The thing too, it doesn't help us when we say things like, oh, that's just the Old Testament. That doesn't help. I know people do it all the time, but let me explain to you, it doesn't help the situation. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. doesn't help. It doesn't help the situation. So the reality, the reality is we've got to understand that we as Christians need to sit back and we need to not take our cues from the world to not be embarrassed about what it is that people say. Hey, you know what? If you don't know the answer, just say, you know what? I don't know the answer, but I'll find out for you. And all you got to do, and this is what I tell people, this is amazing. All you got to do is get on your phone, go to Google, and type it in. And I guarantee you there's 20 or 30 scholars, theologians, that are answering that question for you right there. All the accusations that you hear. You know why there's so many answers to that? Because this is nothing new. This has been going on since the first century. People have been attacking the Bible, saying, oh, there's a contradiction here. There's a contradiction there. And, you know, I'm, I'm arguing with one individual about it. He's like, well, the Bible got it wrong. Well, why does the Bible get it wrong? Because in that story where, where, uh, where uh, uh, Joshua, where the sun stood still, you know, and, and, and Joshua, you know, were praying and God caused the sun to not set so that it could remain day for a longer period of time. You guys remember that? story he was just like yes the bible got it wrong you know why because the sun doesn't revolve around the earth the earth revolves around the sun so technically what happened is god stopped the earth from revolving see shane the bible's got it wrong no the bible does not have it wrong why did God say that, that he was going to stop the sun? Because that's how we do it. That's how they understood it back then. That's how we understand it today, don't we? We call it a sunset and a sunrise. Right? We understand that. Hey, you know what? Hey, you know, here we got, you know, Steve's beautiful daughters here and, and you know, and, and, you know when, they're, when they're getting courted by guys, you know, they're going to come and be like, hey, Sabrina, I got an idea. How about we go have 
dinner and then let's go watch the sun set. Wow, that's romantic, huh? No? Oh yeah, okay, yeah, Sabrina likes that. He likes that idea. Let's go have dinner and let's watch the sun set. Now, would Sabrina think it was weird if the guy goes, hey, Sabrina, this is what we want to do. I want to take you out to dinner, and then I think what would be really good is for us to go sit over here and watch the earth revolve. Let's stare at the beautiful earth revolving. We don't understand that kind of stuff, right? It It doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take a lot of effort. This is all answers that we've all have. This is answers of all. A lot of these contradictions come in. People will say, oh, these are contradictions. These are contradictions. These are contradictions. And it's not. It doesn't take but a little bit of effort for us to find out, does it? So let's not be lazy Christians. If you hear about a contradiction, look it up. Have an answer. You know we're commanded to do that? The Bible says always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you with gentleness and with respect, right? We can have confidence in the scriptures. We can have confidence in what God says. Do we believe that it's God's word? Yeah. Do we believe that the scriptures are the very breath of God? Yeah. Then let's trust it. Because I guarantee you he knows a lot more than we do. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So that's the great, great sin in evangelicalism today. We are not loving God because we're not loving him with our mind. God wants us to know. God commands us to know. God requires us to know. And family, you know what? And if that's, if that's the case, then it makes a lot of sense why Jesus would say, if you are truly my disciple, you will abide in my word. If you are truly my disciple, you will abide in my word. So again, if we're not abiding in God's word, then there's a possibility. What's the possibility? We might not be true disciples. I know it's hard. It's a wake-up call. But the Bible does give us that. Does not the Bible tell us to, to, make, sure, to make, uh, make sure that we're, examine ourselves to make sure that we're in the faith? You know, that, that's the whole understanding of James chapter two. I mean, a lot of people have a cow and, and, and people are all nervous when they read James chapter two where it talks about faith without works is dead. You know, a lot of times pastors and, and God forgive us, and you guys forgive us, a lot of times pastors be tempted to use that you know, to motivate the congregation. <laughs> you know, hey, you know what? If you're not doing good works, then you're probably not a Christian, so you better do some good works. You know, we got some uh, 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 places in the church building that needs to get painted. 
you know, we need some vacuuming, you know, we need you all to give money. You know, if you guys don't give money, then you're not Christian. I get it. I know that pastors have done that over the years. But that's the idea when it comes to James chapter two. The funny thing about James chapter two, faith without works is dead. This is what happens when you read faith without works is dead. We look at that and we go, oh my gosh, if there's no works, then there's no salvation. There's no faith, there's no salvation. So this is what happens every time we get to that passage of scripture. This is the natural thing that we do when we come to that. We go, faith without works is dead. So if I don't have works, then I don't have faith. And so if I don't have faith, then I'm not saved. I'm not a Christian. So, oh, that's scary. You know what I better do? I better go out there and do works to make sure that I'm saved. What did I just do? It's called works righteousness. I'm going to go out there and do works so that I can be good enough to be saved. Because I got to do works in order for us to be saved. That's not true. Do you know what? We do that all the time. Do you know the one thing that we don't do, and this is the point of James, of what James is trying to say? We go, we should be like this. Okay, there's not works, and so faith without works is dead. So, you know, normally people would go, hey, I better do works. Because if I don't do works, then I don't have salvation. So, you know, but that's works righteousness, so it can't be that. So maybe what is it that James is trying to say? This is what James is trying to say. If you don't have works, your faith is dead. Faith. So here's the response. Instead of you guys, or instead of us coming up and going, I gotta go do some work. I gotta go, go out there. I gotta help some poor people. I gotta go out there and I gotta do some good works. I gotta preach the gospel to somebody. Why would we not do this? I don't have works in my life. My faith is dead. Lord, can I please have faith? It's not something wrong with our works. There's something wrong with what? Our faith. And that's the prayer of the disciples. Didn't the disciples say to Jesus, increase our faith? O ye of little faith? Something wrong with our faith. So we don't go out there for works righteousness. We go to God and we ask God, increase our faith. Because it's faith. Faith is the issue. Because my faith is dead. So if I'm not doing works, there's something wrong with my faith. Well, why do I say all of this? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by what? The word of God. There's no way. You can't escape it. The Bible, knowing the Bible, loving God with all of our minds, um, abiding in God's word, that is what, it, what makes a true disciple of Christ. It's not possible without it. It has to be there. That is the great sin in our culture today. Ignorance. We gotta know. But the, we struggle with that. We struggle with that. Because in our nature, men love the darkness instead of the light. 
And I get it. And, and, and I get it. I get why that's the case. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really hard. You know, I, I don't know if it's like that with, with you guys, but for me, sometimes I'm sitting there and reading the word and then you're reading the word and the Bible is saying stuff and you go, man, that's me. Oh, that's me. God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I've done this. I just, and it's just like a lot of times, it's just like that mirror that just shows you just, just how far we've fallen and just the things that we do. And it's hard to fathom. It's hard to hold on to. It's hard to deal with. So a lot of times it's just like, I'd rather just not hear about it. And that's the reality of sin. That's the reality of our sin nature. Yes, it's so much easier, especially when our deeds are evil, especially when we're in a situation where we know, where we know that we're being, we're being naughty. And come on, a lot of y'all, you've, you've been Christians for a while. You know when you're being naughty and you know better. You know when that happens. And it's just so much easier to just stay in the dark. Not have to deal with it. Not have to admit it. Not have to confess it. And it's a reality. It's the reality of who we are. We are going to have these issues. And and a lot of times when you start to recognize that sin is not just the action, but sin is also what's going on in your heart. That's where it makes it so much harder, isn't it? It's just like, yeah, it's easy to stop the action, but man, trying to deal with sin in the heart, that's just, it's just so much harder. You know, it's like an individual, it's just like, I I was talking to one of my friends and he's just like, oh, no, 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 Shane, you know what? We don't have a TV in our house. And I'm just like, well, why don't you have a TV in your house? You know, they call it a boob tube for a reason. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? You know, anyway, he says, it's lust. You know, it's all this lust. And so we're not going to have no lust in the house. So we got to get rid of the TV. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So you got rid of the TV. That's the easy part. What do you mean that's the easy part? That's the part. And I'm just like, no. How are you doing with lust in your heart? Sure, you got rid of the TV. But if you look lustfully upon a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. Well, that's different. You know? And, it's, and this was a guy, one of my friends in Hawaii, and it was just kind of like, so, you know, and, and he goes to the beach all the time. And I'm going like, you go to the beach every day. Yeah, I know. Yeah, do you see the, 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 the bikinis that girls wear? You're not even spending one second lusting at all? Okay, yeah, I am. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's there. It's in, the, it's in the heart. And it's just like, when it comes to that stuff, that's where it gets difficult. But that's where it is. That's where it starts. That God looked upon mankind and saw the evil intentions that was within man that would come out. Oh my gosh, it's, it's difficult. I know it's hard. And the Bible just accentuates it. The Bible just, yeah, it just brings it all out. The Bible just shows us just how far we've fallen. But the good thing is, is that the Bible actually also does give us something else. The Bible tells us how we can be saved from this. 
Bible tells us how we can have forgiveness for all the things that we've done and how far we've fallen. That Jesus did make a way for us. Jesus gave us grace by which we can stand. That's the wonderful thing about the gospel. The gospel that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. We can have life. We can have life in his name. And Jesus came so that we can have life and life more abundant. All of this stuff comes from what? From his word. His eternal, awesome, and amazing word. And the promises continue that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we would be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's salvation for us today. There's eternal life for us today. All proclaimed by the eternal word of God today. That's how awesome God's word is. And we continue to look, to see it as our light that will guide us in our path. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.